Welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushville. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Sound Prince for the week of February 12, 2017. Valentine's Day is coming up on Tuesday, February 14, and so it would be appropriate for us to include an article about your heart. This one is from WebMD, which is an excellent source of medical and health information on the internet. It's called Flutter, Skip, Jump. What do you know about your heartbeat? This is in the form of a quiz on the website. On average, a heart beats how many times in a minute? The choices are 1, 20 to 60, 2, 60 to 100, or 3, 101 to 130. The correct answer is 60 to 100. Heart rates are different depending on your age, fitness, and if you're moving or at rest. But for most people, a normal resting heart rate is in this range. Question 2. If your heart rate is high, your blood pressure will be too. True or false? The correct answer is false. Blood pressure is the force your blood puts on your artery walls as it flows through your body. Heart rate is the number of times your heart beats in a minute. The two may rise and fall together sometimes, like when you sense danger, but it's possible for one to go up and not the other. Question 3. You might need a pacemaker if your heart beats 1. Too low 2. Too fast 3. In an irregular pattern The correct answer is too slow. If your resting heart rate is lower than 60 beats per minute, that's known as bradycardia. In serious cases, your heart may not be able to pump enough blood to the rest of your body. Certain medications and conditions like thyroid issues or sleep apnea can cause it. If that's the case, your doctor will change your prescriptions or treat the cause. If not, a pacemaker, a small battery operated device, can be put under your collarbone to keep your heartbeat at a normal rate. The next question. What triggers your heartbeat? 1. Electricity 2. Pressure 3. Reflexes The correct answer is electricity. A tiny bundle of cells called the sinoatrial node sends out an electric signal from the top of your heart to the bottom. This kick starts each beat and controls the rate and rhythm. Question 5. What makes the lub-dub sound of a heartbeat? 1. Heart valves snapping shut. 2. Heart muscle hitting your sternum. 3. 
blood flowing into chambers? The correct answer is the heart valves snapping shut. Heart valves are like doors. They open to let blood pass through to your heart, and they close to keep it from flowing the wrong way. The two sounds are the two valves, the mitral and aortic, closing as blood passes through your heart. Question 6. On average, how much blood does your heart pump in a minute? 1. 1.5 pints. 2. 1.5 quarts. 3. 1.5 gallons. The correct answer is 1.5 gallons. That's 2,000 gallons a day. It takes about 100,000 heartbeats to pump all that blood through your body. By the time you're 70, your heart will have beaten more than 2.5 billion times. Question 7. Your heart rate goes down when you sleep. True or false? The correct answer is true. When you snooze, your body doesn't need to work as hard as it does when you're awake. Heart rate, breathing, and blood pressure all take a dive below their normal numbers when you're asleep. Question 8. Who's most likely to have a slower heart rate? Men or women? Or children? The correct answer is men. On average, women's hearts beat eight more times a minute than men's do. Heart rate goes down with age, too. Kids' hearts are smaller and pump less blood per beat, so their rates are faster. And question nine. A heart murmur is one, an infection in your heart, two, an extra sound in your heartbeat, three, a device used to monitor your heartbeat. The correct answer is an extra sound in your heartbeat. Doctors sometimes describe the sound a heart murmur makes as a whoosh between heartbeats. They come and go and usually don't cause any problems. In fact, up to 90% of children have one at some point, but they also can be a sign of a heart valve problem that would need medical attention. We hope you've enjoyed our Valentine's Day Heart Quiz. ACB announced its 2017 Leadership Fellows Program this week, and Kim Charlson joins us on page two to share how you can be a part of this exciting opportunity to grow as a leader while attending the 2017 ACB Conference and Convention in Reno, Nevada. We've been telling you about the new Low Vision chapter of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International that is now being organized. David Smith, who is active in the new group, visits with us on page 3 to share information both about the meetings being held by conference call and the new Low Vision support group meeting here in Louisville at United Crescent Hill Ministries. This is a great opportunity for people who have been sighted and who are now experiencing the loss of vision to talk with others and find resources and help as they adjust to visual impairment. Join David 
as he talks not only about the new group, but his experiences in discovering that he can continue with some of his past interests and hobbies. On page four this week, we bring you two articles that appeared recently on the ACB email lists. One features ACB past secretary and second vice president, Marlena Lieberg, from Washington State. She shares her experiences with the Comcast accessibility features that make watching TV much easier for her. The other article is by ACB Executive Director Eric Bridges. He writes about ACB's work in structured negotiations and how that work has helped people of all ages, and especially seniors with visual impairment, to maintain independence because of talking prescription labels that let us identify our medications without sighted help. Eric points out how structured negotiations often get the job done without the need for lawsuits and court cases. And on page five is the Sound Prince calendar. Page two. Kim Charlson is president of the American Council of the Blind. She's in Watertown, Massachusetts, and um, is the librarian at the Perkins School for the Blind and the Regional Librarian with National Library Service. So she has lots of hats, and today she's got her ACB president hat on, and we're going to talk about the Leadership Fellows Program for 2017. Welcome, Kim. Thank you, Carla. Kim, Last year we had 10 leadership, well, we had eight leadership fellows, and we had two DKM first-timers um, at the National Convention in Minnesota, and uh, this year we're going to have five leadership fellows. We just found that out recently, and so I want to talk a little bit about what happened with the 2016 Leadership Fellows, and then move into how people can get involved in this wonderful, exciting program for this year. So um, you can you can tell us about 2016, and then we'll just chat about the 17 awards. Good. Well, I'm very proud of this program that ACB has started. This will be the second year. We have funding support from J.P. Morgan Chase, to help us with the program. And it is an opportunity to identify, it's not a first-timers program, because we've had that for quite some time in honor of Durward K. McDaniel. Correct. And that, and that recognizes the, um, a representative from the East and a representative from the West to come to an ACB convention for the first time, to have that wonderful experience of being with the larger group and all the activities. So, so the leadership Fellows program is is similar to that, but it also has a component that we're hoping to identify potential leaders of the organization in, in their given states who have not had an opportunity to come to a national convention, but who are viewed as definitely potential up-and-coming leaders within their affiliates. So... The process is such that um, the individual has to write an essay um, about what they have done um, in the blindness community, how they've advocated, um, and what they, what they do to contribute to their affiliate, whether that's a local chapter, state, or the national. And then their affiliate president 
writes a letter of recommendation to accompany their um, their essay. So the um, the Durward K. McDaniel First Timers Committee helps um, ACB by screening all of these applications that come in from interested individuals who would like the opportunity to attend a national convention for the first time and have the opportunity to to meet the leadership of ACB to be profiled on the during the opening session of the convention as our ACB um, leadership fellows and attend the general sessions and other opportunities throughout convention week that will gain and add to their skills and information and knowledge as potential leaders of their affiliates in the future. And last year we had 10 um, people, eight, eight leadership fellows and two first-timers that, um, that attended the Minneapolis convention. And I know from, we had one leadership fellow from here, Debbie Dethridge, and she just really, really benefited from that program and, in fact, is now president of the Kentucky yes. Council of Blind, was elected was in November. Successful uh, leadership fellow training. Yes. So she just became your affiliate president. That's yes, she fantastic. did. Yes, she did. So, so we, have an, uh, um, a, we had a fellow from Massachusetts as well, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Deanne Elliott, mm-hmm. and she came back from the convention and she became our state legislative chair and is doing all of our um, legislative advocacy at the state house and so i think you know she's doing a fantastic job as well so um i don't know well i don't know all the stories of the others but i have a feeling that they they all are taking that opportunity that they have had and it's really um kind of moving them into bigger and better things within their affiliate, which is exactly what the intention is to really give them leadership opportunities and information and the experience to, you know, have that confidence that is is needed to take the, that next step into a leadership role. Well, one of the most interesting things um, I thought was that um, Deb Cook-Lewis was one of the um, leadership fellows, uh, the, the Deb Lewis from Washington State. We have a Deb Lewis here in Kentucky, too. But uh, Deb Cook-Lewis from Washington State was a leadership fellow, and at the end of the week, she wound up running for the Board of Publications and winning uh, the election to the BOP. And uh, so she she commented on the convention floor that she came, uh, of course, as a leadership fellow, really never imagining that she'd go home with a position on one of ACB's major boards. So exactly. the yeah, the the leadership program does give people a chance to select those activities that are meaningful to them, participate in a wide range of things at the convention and uh, so I would hazard to guess that of the people who participated last year, that probably the stories, there's that there's no two stories that are exactly alike in that program, and that's that is I think that's a a great tribute to the program as well. Yes. So Kim, yeah, I do too. I think yeah. it's I think it's yeah. really amazing, and in fact, uh, the committee was just doing some work on the 
on the guidelines, and they've mm-hmm. added um, a post-convention requirement that the recipients of the leadership fellows, when they get home, write kind of a, a review or an evaluation. You know what, mm-hmm. uh, you know what, what this means to me. You know what I did at summer camp, kind of thing. <laughs> right, I guess. right, right. Uh, but you know, writing from their heart about the experience and what it gained for them and. That'll be, you know, invaluable for us to monitor the the success of the leadership program, as well as just fantastic um, firsthand accounts to share with our funders as well to to allow them to see how much of an impact this program is making on potential leadership for the organization. Correct. So tell us about the 2017 program and how people can go about applying and getting more information, getting involved in this great opportunity. The, um, so the, the um, Leadership Fellows Program, as I said, you, you need to write um, kind of an essay, a letter of intent, um, outlining why you as an individual feel that you want to apply for the Leadership Fellow Program. Um, you know, it's not an opportunity to get a free trip to the convention. You know, I can I can indicate that, you know, if you say, well, I want to win because I want to go to the convention and I want you to pay my expenses, <laughs> that probably isn't going to get you a high score on the rating scale. I would think not. That's not <laughs> what the program is all about. Right. The program is about, you know, what you're doing in your community to to you know, advocate for people who are blind or visually impaired on some level um, and your involvement in your chapter or your state affiliate or special interest affiliate and how you want to gain more skills and, you know, do more to help um, others who are blind or visually impaired in, in your organization. So it's, you know, you need to look within yourself and find out what your what your motivations are and what your what your hopes and dreams are, and then write about what you would like. And obviously it includes the expenses being paid to attend the convention and all kinds of different aspects of the convention, attending all the workshops and the banquet and the opening session and being profiled in front of all the membership um, as a, a, a leader in the organization as one of our fellows. So that, you write that's your document to write as the applicant, and then you have to communicate with your chapter president or your state affiliate or special interest president, and they have to write a letter of support on why you would be a good candidate. So you want to provide them with information about what you do, and hopefully they know what kinds of things you've been doing to be supportive to your affiliate. And then those items are reviewed by the DKM First Timers Committee and screened and a recommendation made by that committee to um, the executive director and myself as president, and we make the final decision about who the recipients will be, who those five leadership fellows for 2017 will be. So all of this needs to be done, and it needs to be in the ACB national office no later than April 3, 2017, so that all those applications and letters can be read and reviewed and we can turn that around and and notify people once a decision is made and part of the screening process by the committee 
is um, individual telephone interviews by the committee of each applicant to um, ask them, you know, a whole series of questions about what they do and you know, so that the committee can get a better feeling for who the individual is and why they want to be an ACB Leadership Fellow. Mm-hmm. So the important date to remember is April 3rd, and all materials need to be in. That's your letter from your affiliate and your letter by that date, and then the screening process will begin. And there will be... Um, information on the web, the ACB website um, outlining that and an article in the ACB Braille Forum as well to help um, individuals, you know, review the criteria. And, and if you have any kind of difficulty finding the information about the Leadership Fellow Program, feel free to contact the National Office and they can send you information via email about the, uh, about the program. Okay, and the contact information for the ACB National Office, the the person that is the uh, point person here for this particular activity in the National Office is Kelly Gask. That's G-A-S-Q-U-E. And the phone number for the National Office is um, either 202-467-5081 or 800-424-8666. Kelly's email is kgask, G-A-S-Q-U-E, at A-C-B dot O-R-G. And Kim, I'm sure that we all are hoping for um, a lot of applications for this particular program. This is a, a super opportunity, and we are looking forward to receiving applications from from many people, and um, and and we're also looking forward to choosing five great uh, leadership fellows for the coming year. Absolutely. So, again, you know, please, if this sounds like something you'd like to do and get more involved and become a leader in your organization, this. This is an excellent opportunity to do that. So yes, yes, and also that same con- um, contact information is what is also used for the Durward K. McDaniel First Timer Award, um, and the deadline for that is also April third, and um, the an, an applicant might could conceivably be eligible for both awards, and so. Um, it, it is possible for the person to say, I'm applying for, uh, bo- for, for either the Durward K. McDaniel or Leadership uh, Award, and you'd, you'd be eligible for the DKM if, if you have never been to a convention. So, um, you know, don't feel, the applicant should not feel that they have to make that choice. They can indicate that they are applying for one or both. Yeah, that's a good point, Carla. So thank right. you for mentioning that. Yeah. You can yeah. be considered for both if you have not been right. previously. So right. it kind of broadens your opportunity. Right, right, it does. Well, thank you so much, Kim. We appreciate you being with us on Soundprints and look forward to hearing from lots of potential leadership fellows for ACB in 2017. Thank you. Find books and more in accessible media with APH's free-of-charge Louis database. http colon slash slash louis.aph.org.
locate accessible educational materials from nearly 200 different agencies. APH products and textbooks can also be located using Louis. New extended searching now available with free Louis Plus. Visit soon. HTTP colon slash slash L-O-U-I-S dot A-P-H dot org. Many book materials help Braille users jot notes quickly. Pull APH's mini book Braille binder out of your pocket and begin to write on the mini book slate in just seconds. Materials are sold separately so that you can choose the combination that's right for you. Call the American Printing House for the Blind toll free. 800-223-1839 or visit www.aph.org Page 3 David Smith is a member of the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Board of Directors and he's also the GLCB representative on the KCB board but that's not the hat that he's wearing today. David is part of the new Council of Citizens with Low Vision group that's forming here in Kentucky. And we're going to just talk about some of the activities of that group this past week and what's coming up because it's brand new and we'd like to see more of you participating. So welcome to Sound Prince, David. Oh, thank you. David, this past week the KCCLV, Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision, had a meeting on Tuesday night. It was actually the second meeting of the group to talk about their constitution and to work through uh, the constitution, see if there were any changes that needed to be made. And then on Thursday, there was a support group. So let's begin with the, with the meeting on Tuesday, which was actually the organizational meeting for the group, and talk a little bit about that. And then we'll talk about Thursday, if that's okay. So tell us uh, about that group meeting on Tuesday. Uh, yes. On uh, Tuesday, our first uh, statewide uh, group meeting went very well. Hattie Cox uh, went over the Constitution, and uh, that took up most of the meeting. We had actually uh, about 11 people on the call, and uh, so it was pretty good for the first time, hopefully uh, getting up to a very good start. Oh, I think 11 people on a, on, on a call where you're going to be going over constitutions and things like that is really good. Now, those calls won't always be just reading a constitution or talking about um, just uh, resolutions or whatever. Um, that That's going to be not only the business meeting for the organization, but... That'll also be a meeting where people who uh, maybe can't get into an in-person meeting can can get together and talk about low vision issues. So do you see that as sort of being its own telephone kind of support group as well? Yes, definitely. I think it's going to be a wonderful thing. I uh, uh, So many people who are just beginning to experience vision loss have no idea uh, where to look for resources. I know when I first began losing my vision in 2004, I uh, went through the first two years uh, of my vision loss not knowing about, <clears throat> excuse me, any resources or uh, or anything available to me. So I felt very alone and isolated, and uh, you know, it's it's a miracle I didn't really hurt myself uh, as many times as I 
OFL during that period. Uh, but so I think this will be very good for people to who are just beginning to experience vision loss uh, to to uh, support each other and learn about resources in the community. We had a support group meeting on Thursday. That group is going to meet the second Thursday of each month at United Crestonale Ministries from 1.30 until around 3, 3.30. And you were there. We had, what, eight people there, didn't we? Yes. Yeah. And um, there was a lot of just what you spoke about going on at that meeting, sh- people sharing resources. You brought some some of your magnifiers to show, and um, I know Patty went out at one point and brought her bioptic lens in to show somebody else and it was it it certainly was it kind of free flowing and uh, just answering questions people had you have been through the vision loss thing you you were once a sighted person um in the military and so just tell our listeners a little bit about about that uh, well, all that that you you went through to to get to you know to where you are today. Um, you're a braille reader, and so um, give us a little bit of, of background on that. Uh, my vision loss started when I was 37 years old. As you said, yes, I was in the military. After that, I had several other jobs. But my my vision loss was uh, very. Uh, sudden and dramatic. Within like a two-week period, I went from normal vision to, you know, zero peripheral and just very poor vision. So it was very dramatic. But, uh, uh, you know, I I thank my parents. I stayed with them for a few months. But after that, I was ready to get back on my own, my own uh, against my mother's will. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I get my own apartment and everything, and she, she, you know how mothers are. She wasn't happy with that, but I, I still wanted to be independent. And uh, you know, even though I didn't have any uh, know about any resources available, I was pretty much confined to my apartment, or you know, unless I had a companion or someone to go with me somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did venture out sometime on my own, but uh, I was younger and more adventurous. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, then I got into a good, uh, the VA has an excellent rehabilitation program for blind and visually impaired. And uh, an accident, actually, that someone at the VA came across my medical records and saw, they're like, oh, this person should be uh, get into a rehab mm-hmm. program. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, but it had already been two years, so uh, that I'd been, you know, struggling on my own. But at the time, I didn't know that I was struggling. I <laughs> just went about everyday life as best I could. You know, I wish uh, I had known about, uh, you know, such a uh, an organization as the uh, the uh, Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision. Uh, to just for a, you know, as you said, a support group and to, you know, share information and resources and personal experiences. You kind of found us when you decided you wanted to um, 
kind of follow up on some of the Braille skills that you'd started learning at the VA several years ago. And and a couple years ago, you called up and said, well, I think I'd like to work on Braille. And um, actually, we had all we were all going off to the Dallas convention, uh, and that would have been 2015. And so when we came back, you started coming to GLCB and working on Braille, and and you were you really were um, motivated because you'd take Braille home and practice every day. And what a good example you set for um, people who were determined. You were just determined you were going to read. And by golly, you did, you know, contractions and all by the next March. I mean, it was it was tremendous. But um, there's some other things, too, that you discovered. And people, often when they're losing their vision, they feel like, well, I can't participate in the my hobbies or my interests. And um, one of your interests was genealogy. And so just recently you kind of have discovered that there's some that there is tomorrow in that field as well. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, I'm so glad to discover that I can continue with my hobby of uh, ancestry and my family tree. I uh, started uh, a few years ago. My vision was was better then. Uh, I, I lost a little more vision in 2012, and I took another hit with my vision. But... Uh, I thought, okay, I'd better, I better get on this family tree pretty quick and uh, see what I can find out before my vision's too bad. Uh, so I um, was so thankful uh, that I, uh, at uh, the Greater Local Council, uh, I uh, discovered that even as a totally blind person, you can still pursue this hobby. Um, with the technology we have today, and uh, so uh, I, I don't have to worry about losing out on that. Uh, just so many things that you can do now um, as a visually impaired or blind person that even a few years ago maybe you couldn't have done. But there's so many more options. You are right. You are so right. There are so many more options today than there were even 20 years ago. And you go back 30 years, and it's amazing how many changes there are and how far the technology has come. But even in the last 8, 10 years, um, when I think about how how our world changed when the iPhone came along, it is just incredible. And that's uh, what we are using for the... Um, working with Ancestry, and we can also use, although you haven't gotten into it yet, but we can also use um, sites like MyHeritage and Find My Past and things like that. Now, not everything on those sites is accessible, or sometimes it's a little frustrating, but, oh my goodness, there's so much of a difference uh, than, you know, today than there was 25, 30 years ago when, when we didn't have um, accessible technology. So, David... We're going to be having more support groups and uh, support group meetings. There will be programs. We'll be having more telephone calls. We have another phone call coming up to uh, ratify the Constitution for the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision. It's going to happen a week from Tuesday night. So um, we're inviting everybody to come to that who would be interested in helping to get that group uh, on the 
up, up and running, and we're inviting people to join. Um, were the dues set at ten dollars? Is that is that what the group did? I'm not sure if we're going to vote on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, at this next meeting, but that's probably what they're going to be, $10. Okay. All right. So the dues in that group, which will um, ultimately, the, the goal is to affiliate it both with the Kentucky Council of the Blind and the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International, which is the ACB special interest group for uh, the that emphasizes the low vision issues. It will be a chapter of both. Dues in the group is... Um, we think going to be $10 a person. And that next Tuesday would be Tuesday, February 21st. The meeting is at 8 p.m. And the conference call number, I think, on that is going to be 712-432-3900 uh, with the code being 796096. I'm very excited about this uh, group. Uh uh, not just for myself, but for, you know, uh, so many people. Uh, well, my, I have an uncle who uh, uh, is experiencing some dramatic vision loss from diabetes. And, uh, you know, uh, with our, uh, so many people out there just don't know where to get the resources. And, you know, we can, uh, we can share information and, uh, and learn from each other. Page 4. The following article was posted by Kelly Gask of the ACB Alexandria office on February 2 on the ACB Leadership and ACB Announce List. TV for the Blind. How new technology makes entertainment accessible to all. This article is taken from Crosscut.com. It's by Sheila Kane. Burian resident Marlena Lieberg has watched TV her entire life, despite being blind since birth. Over the years, she has relied on spoken cues from family members and her husband to fill in the blanks. More recently, she has enjoyed video-described programs that insert narrated descriptions of key visual elements into natural pauses in the dialogue. But she's always struggled with tasks such as maneuvering through on-screen menus in search of programs to watch or record. Quote, you had to memorize how many down arrows to push, then how many left and right arrows, with no confirmation that you did it right, she says. To watch or record a show, Lieberg often had to enlist the help of her husband, Gary. Her own use of the remote control was basically limited to flipping through channels and adjusting the television's volume. That all changed last September when she began using Comcast's Talking TV Guide technology, a service she can access through her voice-controlled TV remote, voice-enabled TV menu and interface, and X1 tabletop box. The service, which responds to spoken commands and also voices the movements the user makes with the remote, drastically simplified the search process and has opened up her world immensely. I'm enamored with it, says Lieberg, who immediately put the system to work by digitally renting a movie. Pitch perfect. The Talking Guide is just one of several efforts Comcast has made in recent years to make its cable television devices and technology universally accessible. 
whether that means providing closed captioning services for use in noisy settings such as gyms and airports or, as in Lieberg's case, offering audio cues to assist the visually impaired. Comcast started developing its accessibility program in June of 2012, shortly after Congress passed a law designed to bring accessibility laws enacted in the 1980s and 1990s up to date with 21st century technologies. Much of the work has been done in a new technology product and development lab in Philadelphia where eye gaze technology, voice recognition software, and other technologies are tested and fine-tuned. Comcast also hosts regular roundtable events with segments of the disability community to find out what products are working, where the gaps are, and where new opportunities lie. Quote, consumer engagement is critical for effective design, says Tom Lodzkowski, Comcast Vice President of Accessibility. When you think about entertainment, you don't want to have to work too hard to get at it. When you're chilling on the couch, you don't really want to think about how to make the talking guide work. It really should be that easy. For the fiercely independent Lieberg, it is not only easy, it's empowering. Quote, one of the cool things to do is surf around with a guide. I could never do that before, she says. Whether I care about it all or not, I want to know it's there. Lieberg is able to scroll through a list of shows she's previously recorded. Her favorites include the Chicago franchise on NBC and, and Downton Abbey on PBS by speaking show my recordings into her remote. The system responds by visually listing the shows she's recorded on the screen and then guiding her next action by saying, press arrow left or right to review. As each listing is highlighted, the voice speaks the name of the program and when it was recorded. To access the show, Lieberg presses enter. The technology also comes in handy for her husband Gary who can see. Like his wife, Gary will often speak into the talking guide to find shows that he wants to watch, bypassing the on-screen menus that he used to use. When you can tell it to find a particular football game, for instance, and it will go out and find the channel the Huskies are playing on, it's just very convenient, he says. That's exactly what Ludcatlods wants to happen. The company embraces the universal design concept, says Lodkowski. It seeks singular, multimodal designs that work for all users. In other words, it wants to open up its products to all people, regardless of abilities. We want accessibility to not even be viewed as accessibility, Lodkowski says. It's just part of our technology. It's just how it works. Lodkowski, himself blind since birth, has been surprised by the immediate consumer response to Comcast's accessible technologies. Even I underestimated how hungry people who are blind were for access to TV listings, video on demand, the ability to schedule and playback DVR recordings, and navigate settings independently, he says. 
We knew it was important, but the feedback we get from consumers is unbelievable. Lodkowski recalls hearing from a visually impaired woman in her 20s who, for the first time in her life, was able to schedule and play back a DVR recording and purchase a movie on demand. How many millennials have been doing those types of functions since they were able to hold a remote, he says. They take that for granted. With the talking guide, for the first time, we're able to enable this person to do those things. According to the U.S. Census, one-third of U.S. households have at least one member with a disability. And even many without disabilities, 68%, according to Comcast, say they would benefit from some sort of accessibility technology, such as closed captioning. So it makes sense to make accessibility a concern, regardless of the target market. The more we can build in accessibility solutions into mainstream products, the more we are able to make access affordable for people who can really benefit from these solutions, says Lodkowski. This article about structured negotiations, written by Eric Bridges, appeared as a feature in the Philanthropy Journal, a publication of North Carolina State University. The American Council of the Blind and the Policy of Structured Negotiations, February 6, 2017, Sandra Sear, Special to the Philanthropy Journal, by Eric Bridges. The American Council of the Blind, ACB, strives to increase the independence, security, equality of opportunity, and quality of life for all blind and visually impaired people. A tool that has been effectively utilized to achieve this mission has been the art of structured negotiation versus litigation. By definition, structured negotiation is a collaborative and solution-driven dispute resolution method conducted without a lawsuit on file. In short, a win-win approach to resolving issues. What if your life depended on critical dosage and timing of medications? What if you couldn't see well enough to read directions or tell the medications apart? One of ACB's most successful outcomes using structured negotiation was compelling major pharmaceutical companies to implement an accessible prescription labeling strategy so individuals impacted by vision impairment could independently access and review the information on their prescription labels. The goal of this strategy was to prevent blind and visually impaired individuals from misdosing or mixing up their medications, which could have serious, if not lethal, consequences. This strategy was important for everyone with vision loss, but of particular importance to seniors, who often cope with age-related eye disease, such as age-related macular degeneration, AMD, glaucoma, and diabetic retinopathy, and in some cases, cognitive issues, further complicating matters. According to the Centers for Disease Control, CDC, Vision Health Initiative, more than 21 million Americans experience vision loss, even with corrected lenses. Of those, 3.4 million are legally blind, and 80 million have a health condition that puts them at risk of losing their vision, such as diabetes or stroke. Prevent Blindness America, which tracks vision loss, 
and eye disease conditions projects that the number of Americans with blindness will double by 2030 as the baby boomer generation continues to age into their senior years. The CDC reports that Americans fear blindness more than cancer. It often results in additional chronic mental and physical health conditions such as severe depression, obesity, and increased morbidity. Among working-age adults, injury remains a major cause for younger adults, with diabetic retinopathy and glaucoma occurring more frequently among adults in their 40s and 50s, with the latter two more prevalent in communities of color and underserved populations. Among older-age adults, AMD also becomes a leading cause of blindness, with vision loss becoming more and more common as an individual moves past the age of retirement. In a 2013 report published by the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, HUD, measuring the cost savings of aging in place, HUD reported 89% of older age adults would prefer to stay in their homes as they get older. Nevertheless, the percentage of increase in institutional care has risen significantly, with Medicaid seeing a 95% increase in spending from 1999 to 2007. HUD reports Medicaid covering 62% of institutional care in our country. As we continue to see the baby boomers live longer into retirement, the cost of long-term care will rise proportionately with government carrying much of the cost. In FY 2016, the Kaiser Family Foundation reported that Medicaid spending of fee-for-service long-term care exceeded $114 billion, with over $58 billion spent on home-based care and over $45 billion going to institutional care in a nursing home. Taking this into consideration, it is critical for the marketplace to understand the positive impact that can come through providing greater accessibility and universal design to products and services that support independence in the home, reducing the reliance on expensive long-term care solutions. Tools such as talking prescription labels, accessible smart home appliances, and expanded audio description services are simple ways that the marketplace can meet the demands of an aging population that is experiencing greater incidence of vision loss. Through the implementation of accessible prescription labeling via structured negotiation, the American Council of the Blind achieved a victory, not only assisting the growing pool of individuals impacted by vision loss, but also in addressing the enormous costs confronting society in dealing with an aging population. A win-win solution indeed. Page 5. The Sound Prince Calendar. On February 14, it's Happy Valentine's Day. Also, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, Savvy, will have their monthly meeting from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church in Owensboro. Share information, pay annual dues, play games, and enjoy pizza and beverages. 
at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue in Owensboro. Call Rick Bogus at 270-684-4418 or Bill Roberts at 270-485-8170 for more information. February 16 is the Kentucky Regional Braille Challenge. Beginning at 9 a.m. at the Kentucky School for the Blind. This is a regional competition for all Kentucky students who are Braille readers. And students competing on grade level will have a chance to win a trip to the National Braille Challenge in Los Angeles, California in June. For more information, contact the Kentucky School for the Blind at 502-897-1583. On February 17, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold Roundabout and its quarterly meeting. Education and technology will take place from 3.30 to 4.45. The bargain table will open at 4.45. The speaker program and dinner and the business meeting will begin at 5.15. All events will end around 8.30. So make your return rides for 8.45 or later. At United Crescent Hill Ministries, call 502-895-4598 for more information. On February 19, the KCB Next Generation invites everyone to their Sunday brunch, 12.30 to 2.30 p.m. at the North End Cafe, 1722 Frankfurt Avenue in Louisville. For information and to let them know you're coming, call 502-750-1774. On February 19, the KSB alumni will hold its next board meeting at 8 p.m. by phone on the conference line at 605-475-6006, intercode 294444. And the Kentucky Council of the Blind board meeting will be the next evening, February 20, at 7.30 p.m. on the same conference line. Tuesday, February 21. The Tri-State Library users invite you to participate in an informational conference call about the new BARD Express services. The call will be at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the conference line at 605-475-6006. Also, on Tuesday, February 21, the new Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision chapter will hold a special meeting to complete ratification of its constitution and to continue forming the chapter of CCLVI and KCB. The call-in number is 712-432-3900, extension 796096. On February 22, the Bluegrass Council will have its peer support group meeting from noon to 2 p.m. at the BCB office, 1093 South Broadway in Lexington. For RSVP and information, call them at 859-259-1834. On February 24, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Roundabout will be from 3.30 to 10, and discussion time will include a new book club activity from the Tri-State Library users. The topic will be Resources for Downloading Books, presented by Deb Trevino. February 25 to 28 is the 2017 ACB Mid-Year Meeting and Legislative Seminar in Alexandria, Virginia. Call the ACB National Office at 202-467-5081 or 800-424-8666 for more information and to sign up.
On February 27, the Guide Dog Users of Kentuckyana will hold its next membership conference call at 7 p.m. The phone number is 605-475-6006 and the code is 294444. This is open to all individuals who are interested in guide dogs, who have a guide dog, or who need support concerning guide dog issues. On March 2, the American Council of Blind Lions, an ACB special interest group, will have its next call at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. The number is 712-432-3900 and the code is 796096. On March 3, the GLCB Roundabout will meet from 3.30 to 10 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries. For more information, call KCB at 502-895-4598. On March 5, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold its committee meetings on the conference line, Advocacy at 7 p.m., Education and Technology at 8 p.m., and Activities at 9 p.m., the number is 605-475-6006 and the code is 294444. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.